0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. If you're interested in learning how to make money licensing your music into television shows, video games, commercials, advertisements, and more, visit HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. Today's podcast features LA-based singer-songwriter Kathy Heller. Kathy has done really well in the world of licensing. She's licensed her music into TV shows like One Tree Hill pretty little liars switched at birth and a ton more she's also done a lot of advertising work she's written songs for Walmart McDonald's Hasbro she's done a lot of commercial work it's a really great interview there's a little bit of um, problem with the audio here and there I use Skype to record my podcast and there's a couple points during the podcast where the audio gets a little bit distorted but I encourage you to listen all the way through to the end of the podcast it's a great podcast and, and Kathy shares a ton of really good insights and to how to license your music, in particular, into advertising and commercials. So with that said, let's go to the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. Today, I'm speaking with LA-based singer-songwriter Kathy Heller. And so a a few nights ago, I was online and I I came across an article. I believe it it was in the LA Times about Kathy and her music and how Kathy has had a ton of different placements on on networks like ABC, NBC, Disney, uh, Nickelodeon, Lifetime, MTV. She's sort of all over the licensing map. And since my website and podcast focuses on music licensing, I thought Kathy would be the perfect guest to come on and talk about licensing. And so I reached out to her, asked her if she would come on, and fortunately, she said yes. Kathy, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, I'm doing great. I didn't get as much sleep as I would have wanted to, but that's because uh, I work on, you know, I do a lot of advertising work. We do yeah. a lot of things for the ad world. And so they're a lot, I mean, it's all over, but a lot of it is in New York City. And so they're three hours ahead. And uh, when I have a deadline, that means I wake up pretty early, uh, like before six to make sure they have it. So yeah, I'm a little bit tired, but for good reasons, you know, <laughs> like Yeah, I exactly. I should be so lucky. So yeah, I'm good. And that, thanks
0: for having me on. Yeah, thanks for taking a, a break in your day to uh, to have this conversation with me. Sure. So, it's always
1: good to feel like you know something. Everybody wants to be interviewed, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and most people like talking about themselves. So it's it's. I know I'm always flattered when when people from time to time ask me to come on their podcast. So yeah. it's a fun thing. But Kathy, I wanted to. Um, you know, kind of get into what you're doing licensing-wise, and I've noticed you're sort of all over the place press-wise. I came across articles in the about you in the L.A. Times, Billboard, Variety, USA Today. You seem to really have made a name for yourself in the licensing world. So I wanted to talk to you today about how you've been able to, able to do that, how you've been able to be so successful in this niche.
1: Yeah, you know, um I actually give a workshop. Um I don't know when I'm giving another one uh so I wasn't saying that to plug the workshop necessarily but I yeah, was just Yeah, feel
0: free, feel free.
1: But no, I I was I was just saying that I I've been teaching it because okay. I realized over the course of the last 10 years that no one's really out there um giving people Sort of a play-by-play of real strategies and tools that go into this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just a big believer in what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. So I'm not worried that like my destiny will be taken from me if I share things with other people. Yeah, uh, and I also just feel like all rising tides raise all the boats. You know, it's uh, sure. it's good to help inspire people. So I've been sort of putting together. Uh, lots of workshops. I was asked to speak at billboard a couple of years in a row. I've spoken at UCLA four times I spoke at the yeah. ASCAP Expo, so I'm yeah. kind of putting it together and here's what it is You know, it's a combination obviously of a few things um, One of it is what is the song how to get the song that's going to be licensed and licensed songs are different from uh, Songs in general, you know, yeah. I mean it can sometimes be the same thing sometimes a great song is a great song for licensing, too but there are certain things that go into, um, things that make a su- something fit for picture. You know, when you're sure. licensed sure. something you're now, instead of just thinking about, you know, well, what, what do I want to say here? You're also thinking about what does the picture want to say, what's the story we're telling. And so you need to support it. And there's a lot of things that go into that production wise and also lyrically, um, melody wise as well. So, um, I've been sort of breaking that down for people, and I've been doing a lot of ad work in the last several years. Last year, I did uh, two two different songs for McDonald's, um, something for Walmart, and I also have an agency. You know, I rep other artists for licensing. So okay, um, we do. I rep people. You know, film and TV as well. But the ad stuff is really exciting because the exposure is so visible um you know the ad will play more than once in an episode where your song might play once in an episode yeah. uh, it'll play thousands of times um, yeah. and then you'll also make a ton more money so i really think the ad world is, is a very supportive um avenue and platform for indie artists and i've seen so many indie artists break into full-fledged recording star careers from having um great licenses and ads
0: Sure. And how have you seen, um, God, I have a ton of questions for you, Kathy, but, but first and foremost, (laughs) how have you seen your career impacted by your licensing success? Have you seen, for example, Uh an an increase in downloads in iTunes sales and things like that? How has your career changed since you've started licensing so much of your own music? It's
1: it's changed a thousand percent. I mean, in all for the good. And what's interesting is this. Yes. It's increased downloads. Yes. Um, if you go onto YouTube, you know, everybody Googles their name once in a while to see if anything's going on about them. Um, and everybody YouTubes their name just, you know, just to see if there's anything out there. So the other day I like put my name into YouTube and I do it every so often. And it's amazing that these fans will, will just be so loyal to a show like switch to birth or pretty little liars. Um, and they will, they will put up YouTube, you know, song, a song streaming without any graphics. And it. I recently saw a song that had like 265,000 plays with literally yeah, yeah. just the song and nothing else happening because people are so excited about the show. And then they they link this feed of this song back to that scene. And so it, it helps them get behind the song. And so, yeah, the downloads go up. But the thing is, in my opinion, that the licensing comes an end to its best. When you're making money in licensing and you're getting
2: 40 licenses a year,
1: then let's try, let's move. Back. Let's you six licenses a year. Um, depending on what those licenses are, if you get two ad placements in a year, you don't need to work. Uh, and, you know, you don't need to have another job. That is an income. So, to me, what's exciting about licensing music is that it's a very reliable, stable, viable way for an artist. To approach staying consistently doing their art, um, as opposed to if you, if, let's say you weren't focused on licensing and you were just focusing on breaking into the scene, well, then you need to go on tour and you need to sell records because if you're not focusing on licensing, you, those are the other two avenues. And it's very, very difficult to be an unknown person and make a sizable amount of money on tour. Um, because tours cost you money. You have to pay for your travel, and you have to pay for your band, yeah. and yeah. so at the end, you're not really netting very much at all, and it's a it's a very exhaustive amount of time that you're spending, so you're not able to be diversifying yourself and spending that time towards other music investments, like you know being in the studio recording music for license or whatever, and selling records is only going to happen if your touring is big enough or if your licensing is big enough that people know you, so I think that you know I'm very very lucky and blessed to have now look it didn't fall in my lap it took a lot of years of keeping my foot you know smashed on the gas pedal and not stopping and being very very perseverant yeah, and yeah. you know but I feel very blessed that it did eventually take off and now I can do you know several ads in a year as well as several TV placements and I don't even feel the need to worry about all those other things because it just comes. Now it's like the licensing is so fulfilling and people find the music. And And now it's not about, well, am I going to get a record deal? It doesn't really matter because I'm able to enjoy my life, make music and make money and not have to sit around and worry, you know, about that stuff. And then if that stuff happens, you know, if I were to get like a very um, featured ad, let's say something, I mean, I did Walmart and McDonald's and we did a bunch of stuff last year and I've done other things like Special K and Hasbro. But if you get like an iPad commercial, that's like really got buzz around it. If the product is like really being pushed, um, you can turn your whole career around and then maybe you do get a record deal or you don't want a record deal at that point. So you just get a distribution deal. But that's not even on my radar anymore. I'm just continuing to focus on how to grow the licensing and, and grow it from you know, if it's six ads to 12 ads, if it's 12 ads to 20 and, and how to make that move every year.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's, that's awesome. Do you still, do you play shows? I know that you have from time to time in the past, are you still performing (laughs) live?
1: There is nothing more fun for me as a human than playing a show because I love just getting up and connecting with an audience. I mean, I love sitting down at the piano and Feeling something and other people feeling it, and my my lyric or my melody is like piercing someone's heart, and they're actually feeling some kind of healing or hope or whatever. That's like the most incredible thing you can do, in my opinion, as an artist. So I love 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 doing it. Now that being said, um, when you're think, I used to play shows at least four or five times a year in L. A. In every few months, I would do a show at Hotel yeah. Cafe or something like that. But the issue with it is once you get into a rhythm and you're, you know, getting calls, you're getting calls three to six times a day from Nike or, you know, uh, Payless or T-Mobile or McDonald's asking you for music and you're talking to TV people and you're doing something on Criminal Minds and then you're doing something else. And then you weigh that against, okay, what am am I going to do? Okay, so if I want to do a show... I'm going to pay my band. So it's going to be, you know, all right, we're going to, we're going to set up rehearsals. That's going to be three rehearsals plus the show. And then it's going to be, you know, how many hours? So 12 hours of rehearsal. I'm going to do the show and then I'm going to market it. And I'm going to hope that, you know, 75 people come, which is usually the people that come to my show is about that. But most of them have heard me, you know, a million times. Um, so it, it feels a lot less, uh, exciting to put the, Energy into spending I wind up spending about a thousand dollars Which is which is fine. It's a fun time. It's always a high. I never want the show to end But it's a lot of work um, And I I I just feel like after a while um, You know now I do different things I get asked to perform at like a charity You know event or somebody will ask me to come in for like a conference and that'll be awesome They'll pay me like a really nice amount of money You know, like $5,000 or $12,000, you know, to come fly to Las Vegas and perform it there, whatever it is. And that's really nice, you know, that I guess you get to a point where you want to work smart. You don't want to work hard. You want to work smart. You want to be smart about the things that you're choosing to do. And what's the, in the end, I guess my point is, what is the priority? And if the priority, is making music and reaching as many people as I can, then playing a show for 75 people, most of whom have heard me, is not as effective as spending that day, you know, trying to get the music out there. And then people wind up hearing it all over McDonald's ads and, and write me and say, you don't know how many times a year I get an email. I just heard this song. I love it. My daughter has autism. We She wants to sing it in her seventh grade. I get lots of fan mail, and I, I feel like I'm able to just reach a wider net. So at the end of the day, I don't really understand then What my motive is, other than selfishly, playing a show is just really fun, but it's not really going to do the bottom line of getting it out there to thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of people. And it's not going to make me money, but it will be something very fulfilling as an artist. So I kind of pick and choose those opportunities and I'd rather be called in, you know, to to play for somebody's charity than to go do a show for 75 people.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. Let's do th- this, Kathy. Let's talk about um, let's talk about how you're able to get your your placements. I, I know you've done TV, a lot of TV work, but I'm really interested in your advertising work in particular mainly just because I'm not as familiar with the advertising world as I am with the TV and film world. How do you go about, how have you gone about developing relationships with ad agencies and supervisors that uh, place music in in commercials?
1: Well, I've been working on that as a specific focus for about eight years. Yeah. Um, And it was, you know, when I first signed, when I first I first came to LA and I was writing music and then I did this ASCAP Lester Sill workshop. And at the end of the workshop, which was very fun, um, I got a licensing deal with this fabulous guy, Marty Silverstone, who's a real, he's a real go-getter. He's now at Primary Wave. He's been there for a while, which is an amazing company. Um, but he wasn't at Primary Wave at the time and he was pitching my music and I, I was getting feedback that my music worked really well in ads, uh, even though I was getting, you know, TV promos um, for like The Office, NBC's SNL. I was also getting other things for movies and shows. But he kept telling me that my music worked really well in ads. When my deal with him ended and he went off to a different company, um, I started looking for people to work with. And I worked with some other fabulous people. Um, I worked with a great woman, Brooke Primon at Razor and & Tie. And she felt the same. She felt like my music really lent itself to ads and... A few ads came, you know, down that road. I started, you know, doing things: um, KFC, Special K, Curie Coffee, American Airlines, and I just started see Hasbro. Things started happening. Well, eventually, I went off on my own, and I said, "If this is working, then imagine if I put all of my energy into this every day." Because when you're represented by someone with a big roster, now, the way I do it, I have a very small roster, so I can really focus on my artist. But when you're represented by someone with a very big ros- roster, they only have as much time for you as they have. They have a lot to do. I figured, I have me. At that time, it was just me me doing me. So I could wake up every day and, and figure that out. So I started to do the research and say, which ads are using which kinds of songs And it was a very intense, long process to figure out, okay, who's doing what? Okay, well, Apple has this kind of sound, and, you know, uh, Pepsi goes in this direction, and these people seem to use celebrities, but these people use indie artists. Okay, now, let's backtrack. You know, because of the Internet, it's unbelievable what is at our disposal. And, you know, today, you can get online, and you can Google, and you can see – there's amazing websites like AdAge, which is an ad, ad magazine.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: tons of them. And they'll tell you, like, who's the 20 hottest agencies in the country? Who's the 20 most uh, boutique agencies in the country that are really doing well? And then it will list on each of the agencies' pages, these are the brands they work with. This is what they're doing. Now, is it easy to get in? No. It takes It takes years. It takes years of sending emails that get rejected or not read. And eventually you start to like slip through the crack, you know, and it's how you do it. And it's the kind of music you send. I think, you know, I get submissions all the time and people email me submissions. So now I'm on the other end and it's very difficult to say no, because you always want to say yes. It's very hard to be, you know, critical of another human being. Um, So what winds up happening is if you get a submission and you don't like it, usually you just don't write back. Right. Um, And once in a while, if the person is really earnest and they, you feel like they deserve an answer you say you know i'm 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 touched that this is where you want to go i think you should keep trying the music isn't quite there yet um, i had a second advantage which is really, really the biggest piece of this whole thing which is i was spending time honing the craft of writing the song first and it all all goes back to the song so by the time you start working on pitching your music, whoever you pitch it to, for instance, if someone sends it to me, right? And I'm a licensing agent and an artist, but I'm a licensing agent. If I click on that link and that song is fantastic, it takes me like literally six seconds. I then write the person back, say, what can you for coffee? I sign that person and I start pitching. That's how easy it is to tell if the song is right for it. So I think what was happening with me is even though I was up against a pretty high hurdle I had been working in that world. So once in a while, when I clicked, they would say, well, wow, this music's good. And it, cause it already, it had already been getting stuff in the ad world. Now, everybody has a different sound that's authentic to them. And I, when I came out to LA was sort of writing music that had these sort of overarching positive sort of lyrics that were, you know, sort of written in a quirky way. Um, Like an Ingrid Michaelson or a Feist, where it was kind of fun to listen to, not too saccharine, but definitely on the happy side. And I think that was what led me down that road. So you have to be true to yourself, um, but there's other sounds that work in advertising that are not necessarily that kind of, you know, happy, positive sound.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about this, Kathy, because one of the things you mentioned earlier in the conversation was writing songs that are accessible and how, you know, writing a great song that's just a great song in general isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean it's a great song for, for licensing. Can you talk a little bit about what makes a song work in the context of licensing specifically?
1: Yeah, I think that there's different camps. You know, if you're talking about trailers, we're going to talk about one kind of song because in a trailer, it's about, there's usually either they're like a tension building something or there's a hip hop track. If you're, if you're talking about TV, things are a little dialed down so that the dialogue can stand over it. If you're talking about film, that also might be different in terms of cinematic score. If you're talking about advertising, and that's kind of my area of expertise, there's really like three camps the way that I see it. It's either this sort of just happy, feel-good music, and I can, you know, name ten artists that do that, you know, and they get tons of ad placements. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's, or it's sort of like that millennial hipster fits in the tantrums. Um, you see it on car commercials. You see it on T-Mobile commercials. It's got a, it's got, it's that song, um, that jet song, uh, that was on the iPad commercial. I mean, I could play stuff for you, but I can also send you a um, a list of songs that are a license that I think are fantastic. So it's either like, you know, the happy thing, or it's that sort of millennial edgy hipster sound. Um, and then the other way to go is there's sort of like somewhere in between where it's like Matt and Kim or Tegan and Sarah or a little bit like Lucius where it sounds a little eighties, but not totally eighties. That's, that sound seems to be hot right now. So production wise, the cool thing is because we have the internet, if I told you, if I said, what was the most recent song used in a Coke commercial with the touch of a button, you can click on Google and you can tell me. So you can really start to see you know, what's being licensed, what's working, what songs are getting you know, traction, and you can see that there is a consistent sense, ability, about what these brands gravitate to. Yeah. And that's production-wise. Now, now, lyrically, there I get calls and emails every day, several times a day, and there is also a consistency to the kinds of themes that they ask for. They don't call me and say, do you have a song about a breakup? They don't ask me that. They don't call me and say, do you have a song about pain? They don't ask me that. They say, Do you have a song about new beginnings? Do you have a song about change? Do you have a song about the time is now? Do you have a song about spring? Do you have a song about color? Do you have a song about together? Do you have a song about friends? And I started to realize over the last eight years that I better have a song about friends and I better have a song about color and I better make it something that's consistent with myself as an authentic human being. So it doesn't sound like I'm just putting it together and I better make it sound production wise, like something that's really in the realm of what they want and yet still be authentic. So to me, that's the secret sauce. And if you approach it from that strategic way and you're also talent, now here's the thing. The X factor is you have to still be talented. Like you can't just put this together and become, you know, a success because you still obviously have to have that undefinable, untangible thing, which is, your voice is something about your voice that make, makes it work. And there's got to be something about a melody that you that you write that just is good. Now, that goes back to having a certain amount of talent. Even if I was able to you know, give a songwriting class and I say it's verse B section chorus bridge, you still have to write a great. I mean, in that that's the you know, that's the missing piece that no one's going to be able to tell you. But what we're talking about is. What are the basic tools that beyond the, you know, beyond the undefinable talent, what are the tools that I could approach systematically? And uh, if I had that in mind, how would that serve me? You know, that's what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I like about your story, Kathy, is it seems like you... Have taken a very deliberate and strategic approach to getting your music licensed. you know, as opposed to a lot of writers that I work with seem to, it, they almost approach licensing as an afterthought, you know, they write whatever they're inspired to write, and then they, sh- you know, pitch it to a few publishers or supervisors. and and sort of hope that it gets picked up somewhere. Are you at this point writing for specific projects or are you just writing music that you know sort of in general will work in a broad range of of different places? Yeah, it's
1: more second. I mean, the... Reason being is that there is no product that is so cheesy that they want you to say sandals and then put it in a sandals ad. You know, they don't want you to say like diapers and send it to Huggies. So you can't really write for it specifically because you don't really know which direction. I mean, you could have a, a Ford commercial that all of a sudden wants to do something, you know, just about like on your way, off you go, somebody going off to college, you know, so you're not really going to like write a song for Ford, but you're going to write a song that in general encompasses some of this consistency that you see across the board. And then the more you develop a catalog like that, you're going to say, oh, this one landed here and this one landed here. Um, And that's what I sort of coach my writers to do. Um, And, you know, yeah, I am strategic about it, but I, I feel like, you know, you, You sort of have to keep your eyes open in life and look at where you're being led. And when I came out to L.A. at 24, um, I'm 36 now. So when I came out to L.A. at 24, I wanted to, um, you know, it was the second season of American Idol. Kelly Clarkson was on the radio and I didn't know anything about licensing. I moved out here from the East Coast and I thought, I guess I'm here to get a record deal. Like I didn't know any other way to make money as an artist. I, I didn't know enough. Um, and, you know, those doors would open and then they would close. And I would get inter- I would get to the point where I would wind up sitting in front of the president of a label. My music would get passed all the way there. They would offer me a deal. This happened twice. And there would be a lot of support on one side. And then somebody else at the label would say, I don't know how we're going to sell it. I'm not sure. And then it would fold. And that happened twice. Yeah. Um, and when that happened, I started to think about you know, where my career was going to go, and what was opening and what was smooth in my life, and I was getting licenses. And so I kind of, I think it's just what anyone else would have thought, like, well, if I'm getting licenses, maybe I should just keep doing that. And so how, what, how would I answer the question of how do I get more licenses? Well, I need more music. And what kind of music then would I write? Well, I would write more music, like the music that's been working. You know, I mean, it was sort of just, An inevitable answer. And, you know, I had an interesting conversation, which I think is worth sharing. Um, So there were two record deals that I was in the midst of getting. And one of them was at Interscope. And I was working with Ron Fair, who, you know, do you know who he is? I'm sure you do. Um, Yeah. Okay, so I was working with him. And I had a really exciting evening because we were in the middle of the deal and I was already sort of in, I I already had people asking me my Starbucks order. It was kind of fun. And I went with him to the Lady Gaga recording session of Paparazzi because this was when it was being recorded.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I was sitting next to him at the control board while he was sort of listening to this incredible 36-piece string orchestra. He loves strings. And he was having his... Engineer Tal Hertzberg, who was a master engineer who actually passed away, he was telling him which to comp and he kept saying to me, which one did you like? Which take did you like? It was cute. We had this long talk. And he told me an amazing anecdote. He told me that when he moved out to LA, he wanted to be a songwriter. He didn't think about being a producer. And he went to talk to Bill Conti. Bill Conti is like a legend. He wrote the theme to Rocky. Na, 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 I mean, he oh, is. God.
0: Yep, yep. I know that so one. So if
1: you uh-huh. go back into music licensing and you really look at the beginnings of like some of these huge, you know, themes from TV. I mean, this guy was doing all that stuff. Very, very fa- fancy, famous person. So Ron was talking to Bill and Bill was listening to Ron's songs. And Bill said, you are a great songwriter, but you're a fantastic producer beyond anything I've ever seen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Ron said to me, he said, I decided then and there to focus all my effort on producing. And of course he went on to produce Christina Aguilera, Lady Gaga and the Pussycat Dolls. And then he was a host, a judge on American Idol. And I mean, he's, he, he's, he's an entity, you know, he's a producer, everyone knows him, whatever. Um, And I remembered that conversation. I remember sitting in that room and I remember thinking, I don't see my life becoming Lady Gaga. I don't see myself going on tour. I wanted to have a family. I have two little girls and see what happens. And I decided to, and I'm glad I did because, you know, going in on that road, I didn't wind up signing a deal where somebody owned my masters or my publishing. And I was able to really pursue it. And Um, you know, kind of find my own niche. And I'm glad. I think sometimes we have to open our eyes and some people might not be great songwriters. They might be great on the other side or they're really good lyricists, but they're not so good at melody and they have to be able to own that and then really work on being the best lyricist they could be. Or some people are fantastic songwriters. They just need a better producer. It just, you have to just kind of look at what you're being told. And I would say, don't only hang around with people who affirm you, you know, hang around with people who are going to give you constructive feedback.
0: Yeah. You cut out for, for a second, <clears throat> Kathy, but I got the gist of your point, And I think you made a really good point in that sometimes in life we want one thing so badly, but it's maybe it's just not in the cards. And it so- sounds like in, in your case, licensing, just, it was the thing that was working for you. So logically, why not pursue that more and build right. that up, which is right. what you did, obviously.
1: You know, and the thing is, I know a lot. The reason I'm making the point is because I know a lot of people who are still 12 years later trying to get that record deal and they did get a few licenses, but they just kind of ignore it. And yeah. they just, and they, and it's like, do you really think, you know, and why is that the, why is that the pie in the sky? Imagine if you can make a few hundred thousand dollars a year licensing music or more. I know people who make $2 million a year for music licensing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, isn't that the goal to be able to get to be an artist and, you know, really do well and and affect people and get music out there? Um, Or is it like you just have this need, you know, you have to do that. You know, that's what and and for them. Good for them. Maybe that maybe that maybe they know that. But I don't know. I think that, yeah, you have to be really honest with yourself. And then while you're being honest with yourself, push yourself as hard as you can. When you hit your wall, just keep going and push it harder. You have to be perseverant. You know, you can't. It, it's sort of a mix of knowing what to be perseverant about, right? Right. Yeah. And and uh, at the same time, you know, really, really leaving no stone unturned, because yeah. a lot of people, especially in our generation, we're so into instant gratification. We don't really go the distance. We if something's not happening overnight, we we kind of walk away. So. You know, on some level, I give it up for those people who are still touring 12 years later trying to get a deal. I just don't know if getting a deal anymore, I guess, in my opinion, what I'm saying is I don't know if that's worth the time and the and the energy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think it's confusing for musicians because I think there is this idea of not giving up, you know, of being persistent but like you said, you have to know what to be persistent about. And if you've been pursuing something for a decade or two decades, at some point, maybe, you know, and it's not working, maybe you have to sort of reassess your, your approach, uh, you know, to things.
1: Yeah, that's
0: what I think. Yeah. Kathy, listen, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Your no story problem. is really inspiring. And what I'd like to do is a couple things. Let's tell people how to find out more about you. Um So I'm on your website. It's Kathy with a C, Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R, kathyheller.com. Is there another website people can learn more about you?
1: Yeah, I think a a more comprehensive place to go is my company's website, which is Catch the Moon Music, Catch the Moon Music, like you're catching the moon, Yep. Uh, catchthemoonmusic.com. And if you go there on the homepage, it's really beautifully laid out. You can see all the ads that we've done really in the last year, I mean, there's more, but we there's a there's an there was enough in the last year that it was a pretty nice selection. So it's all very current. There's a lot of fun stuff to watch, and then you can look at the artists that I represent as well as myself, because obviously I represent myself. Um, and if somebody has music that they want to um, submit, you know, they can email me there on the website. There's my email. Um, and if they want more information, I do give workshops and I bring in music supervisors and I bring in people from ad agencies and it's super fun. Um, right now we have 54 people. We're sold out. We're at a theater in West Hollywood. Um, if I would have had more seats, I would have sold them, but we only had 54 seats in the theater and I will probably do it again. So um, if they want more info on that, they can contact me. And, um, I'm always happy to, you know, drop people a couple lines of encouragement or direction. So feel free.
0: Awesome. So go check out uh, Kathy's websites. Kathy, like I said, thanks so much for doing this. And what I'd li- Yeah, thank you. What I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to close each podcast with a song from the featured guest. Do you have a song, imp- you know, maybe like something that's been featured in an ad recently that we can close the podcast with?
1: Um, do you want to hear something that's not out yet or do you want to hear something that was you know, in something recently.
0: Let's do something that's already been placed in a, in an ad to give people sort of an idea of what uh, what's working for you musically.
1: It's working for me? Um, all right. Well, let's see. Um, you know, I'm trying to think which one to tell you to play.
0: Sorry, uh, to put you on I'm the sorry. spot.
1: No, it's okay. I mean, my I, I feel like. You're, the new stuff is always the stuff you're most excited about, you know, because you just wrote it and recorded it. But um, I think if you were to play <laughs> either <laughs> either the song that was in the Walmart ad last summer or one of the songs from the McDonald's spot, you'll get a good sense of, you know, one of the kinds of sounds that's being looked for. So you could play um, Let Your Color Shine or you could play We're Good Together. And those are good examples of, you know, ad songs.
0: Okay, so let, let's let pick one. Let's go with Let Your Color Shine because I, I listened to that earlier this morning. and I like that a lot. Okay. So we'll close with that. And then what I'll do is is if you can send me the new track, I'll link to that below the podcast so people can, uh, can check that out as well.
1: Sure. We'll awesome. Do.
0: Kathy, thanks so much. Um, okay. Have a great day.
1: You too. Thank you.